The Village Square, a nervy bunch of liberals and conservatives who believe that disagreement and dialogue make for a good conversation, a good country, and a good time. At The Village Square, we believe big things can happen when ideas collide inside the bonds of mutual respect. We're building the town hall of the 21st century across the partisan divide. At the Village Square, we talk about politics, religion, and race. You know, the topics your mom taught you never to discuss in polite company. When most separate, we gather across color, creed, and ideology. Listen, at the Village Square, we make pigs fly. Welcome to the Village Squarecast. This is your host, Vanessa Rouse. Thanks for joining us today for our first Local Color podcast episode. It's June of 2020, almost a month after the tragic death of George Floyd. What you're going to hear in this episode is an open discussion on racism in America, particularly focused on recent events by a group of local color participants who have opened their hearts to help us all understand our neighbors a bit better. This local color group has been meeting for three years to discuss race in our society, and they have built strong relationships among a diverse group of people in an effort to come together to make progress on one of our nation's most critical issues. These are our neighbors, offering open and honest thoughts on race. It's real, it's heartbreaking, it's thought-provoking, and it's a gift to all of us that these brave individuals were willing to be vulnerable in the interest of deeper understanding and progress. If you showed up for this race discussion and now you're thinking, who is the Village Square and what is their local color program? Well, we got you covered, but it's in a different episode because we don't want to take away from this discussion here. So check out the episode that dropped right before this one. It's with Liz Joyner, CEO of The Village Square, and she gives you all the what, how, and why of The Village Square, including an introduction to their programs, one of which is Local Color. We're also planning for a future episode where we dive into more of what Local Color is, so look out for that too. I am so thankful to each one of today's guests for allowing this conversation to be shared with the world, for allowing us to sort of be flies on the wall inside this sacred space that they built and have nurtured over the years. And by the way, I'm a listener here too, just like you. I wasn't there for the actual discussion. And also, by the way, this discussion was pretty lengthy, so we've split it into two episodes. So keep your eye out for the second part to be released soon. As you will hear in just a minute, the group dives right into a pretty heavy discussion. So I'm going to introduce these voices to you before we get started. And this is the order in which they speak also. First, there's Liz Joyner, CEO of The Village Square. She takes on the facilitator role for this discussion. And she's one of two using her real name. And I know that my 15-year walk, meeting people and knowing people who are politically different than me, I have found a lot of really wonderful, well-intentioned people who are like me, because I am human, part blind, and we don't see what we don't see. 
The second voice you'll hear is from V. The idea that we, we have Black men who are extremely successful and they talk like they have a last will and testament. So you ask them about what happened and they say, you know what, if this were to happen to me and they've got a whole lot of things lined up. And then we get to hear from Sunshine. For some reason, this one really just cut. Again, I don't know what it is. I've thought about it as a mother. I've thought about it as a mother of two black boys. I've thought about it as um, a wife to a black man. I've thought about just the fact that a, a black man called out to his mama. And there's Miss Science. Only place or only time in my life where I've ever not really felt as much discrimination is when I is when I've traveled internationally and when I blended in. And um, because I speak Spanish, so people couldn't automatically tell that you know I was American. So I just I just blended in with everybody, and that felt really nice. It felt really really nice. And finally, Sean. At what point does my conservative political ideology have anything to do with how I see other human beings and the dignity and worth that I feel should be extended to them as equal vessels created by God? All right, let's hear from this brave and wise group of community members. Here we are. We're taping this conversation the day after George Floyd was laid to rest in Houston. We're mid-global pandemic, so our local color group that has been meeting for three years now, devoted to talking about race, can't do what we normally do. So what we're doing today is we're taking a stab at having the conversation digitally and talking about where we are in the midst of these uh, you know, really tumultuous events that are affecting our country and our communities. We started last week with a Zoom call where I, I have to admit right off that I, I kind of thought we were going to all come together and put our heads together and try to figure out, uh, you know, what do we do now with local color and with our race conversation. The phone call created a visceral understanding for me that th this whole tragedy is just so different experienced if you're white and black, even if you're someone who's been really involved in conversations like this. And I would say that I left with this very, very deep sense of my friend's almost indescribable grief. And maybe the other, the other word I would use is just exhaustion, that, that you all seem so deeply exhausted in ways that, to be honest, I recognize after we talk, I, I could put it down. And that's my cat, Violet. <laughs> I think that in some ways the conversation taught me something that maybe I wasn't going to ever learn by not seeing it and feeling it in your all's hearts. It hurt me because you all are so hurt. Yeah, thanks, Liz. I actually had another conversation. It's, it's not the same as it is, you know, with you guys after the last couple of years, but last night with some really dear white friends and their responses were fairly similar. They, you know, also kind of had the we recognize you're exhausted from the, the educating and the putting things out there. And I said, listen, I, won't, I would never do this in, this in these last few weeks. You are a chosen group to receive that kind of transparency or vulnerability. Like I, I get that you are concerned about that, but you wouldn't even be hearing it if I hadn't chose to give it, you know, which 
says something about this group and, you know, about you and Sean and Eric, this is a privileged pain. Not sure if that makes sense, but I can just hold on enough to not to give it to the people that I don't think deserve to see it. That's always been the case, but particularly for the last couple of weeks. And, you know, the, the in and out of laughter and, and tremendous pain that we're able to have is unique, um, but also something I wouldn't want to do frequently. But, but you guys are, you get it, not get it, understand, but you all, I am, I'm willing to have you receive it when I'm able, which is not always. So, so does it take the experience of, of diving in that deep? It just takes, it exhausts more, right? Or are there moments yeah. when you feel like there's been some unique understanding that it feels energizing or is it just too early? Too, way too early for me. It is, you know, I will a few hours later, a day later, a couple days later, recognize uh, anger that's welled up. I mean, obviously it's because of additional things that are happening, but there's a particular type of anger or exhaustion because those are the byproducts of having the conversations, even if it's with people that I trust and love a whole lot. There's, I, I have not gotten to that point yet. I'm, there are some hopeful things like having the conversation, but not in a way that's, I don't feel like, I don't feel visceral joy or relief or like I said, just this particular type of, you know, there's an intellectual hope. I think in some ways and then some with faith and since, you know, spiritual realities for me, but I'm thankful to do it. But the, the cloud for me is, is very thick and extremely dark. I have to make some choices to help that. And I don't do a good job of that. So I keep diving into certain components of the news or, you know, I've just needed to shut down components of like what I'm looking at or when I do get people who are poking and prodding me and they, they, they don't know that they're doing a terrible job of it or are making things worse. I'm having to fend off all of those things on a regular basis. So there's, there's like, do you shut down your friends? I've got people who say, you know what, that, that person, because of that one text they sent me, even if they meant well, they're, I'm done with them because that's how worn out I am. I haven't gotten to that point yet, but there's too much still happening for me to think like, wow, this is removing an XYZ direction. So anyway, I'll, I'll let my other friends talk. Yeah, I think the exhaustion, it's real. And for me, it's the exhaustion from thinking about it, trying to make sense of it, but also dealing with that very, just the, the, the sheer pain and sadness of the situation. And I, I've been thinking a lot about what, what is it about this particular time that has just been so painful. I typically try as much as I can to avoid some of the imagery mm -hmm. that accompanies this stuff because I only need an imagination. I need to only imagine it and it's stuck in my head. I don't need an actual image. And when it, it gets in, I can't ever, I can't ever get it out. And so certain ones stick out over the years that I've been awake to just this whole thing more than others. But for some reason, this one really just cut 
again, I don't know what it is. I've thought about it as a mother. I've thought about it as a mother of two black boys. I've thought about it as um, a wife to a black man. I've thought about just the fact that a, a black man called out to his mama. I thought about who was deceased. Maybe the right thought about just the timing in in with Aubrey and with Brianna and COVID and potential hurricane, I think, coming up. I mean, it was just so much happening at once that I think this one hit particularly hard for the Black community and, and differently for mothers and for wives and, you know, all of that. So if it, it felt like, for for lack of a better word, and, you know, at the risk of sounding callous, it almost felt like a gift to just shut down, to not not even try to make sense of it because it just was so all consuming and it was so debilitating really just to try to make sense out of it to over intellectualize it and, and come out with articles. I saw people doing that and I, I couldn't even, I couldn't do it. I couldn't get myself to read stories about it or to post a clever yeah. quote about it or anything. I was just crying all the time, yep. you know? So that, that was, that's physically exhausting. I mean, I don't know if you guys have had good cries, but that good cry that puts you to sleep no, not <laughs> for like 12 what hours, is that? that's like, that's that horrible cry. Like your head is hurting when you're done. You just, there's nothing else to do, but just to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. So to have that and be to your point of, you know, when you're, when that morning is interjected with questions and requests for either work school or just people wanting to talk with you through it. Yeah, my my reaction was not nah, not right now. And to every white friend that I loved, it was like not right now. And and it it's it's not nothing for me to say it because I counted a personal privilege and a passion to be in this kind of difficult conversation all the time. I don't shy away from it. But for some reason in this season, I was like, I, I, not right now. Like, go read an old post that I, I sent, you know, reflect on a text, something, because not right now. That's just how it felt. Liz, um, before you asked, you asked Viva, said, like, did it feel too soon, the call to action? And immediately, like, we had our first call last week. That was my first thought. You even said something like, all right, guys. Uh, what what should we do? And I was in the middle of um, what I've been doing as my response to all this. Like I was in the middle of a walk outside because I decided that even our local color conversation, I needed to be doing my self-care activity to have this conversation because I figured it was going to be a lot for me. So I was in the middle of a walk, but then I decided that, all right, I got I to gotta go back home and maybe be sitting down because it's going to be taking a lot more mental focus. So when you asked that question, I was in the middle of walking so I couldn't maybe articulate as well as I needed to, to say what I needed to at the time. But I was at least able to get out, hold up, wait a minute, slow down. We need to first be asking, how is everybody feeling? Yeah. yeah. And then another person who's not on the call right now, but he is Black, He was very quick to then hop in and tell us how he was feeling. And, and I, I knew he was going to say something like this, but he's not, he, he was not okay. And not only is he not okay, his wife is not okay. 
potentially his daughter is not okay, he was not prepared to have this conversation. Like he now had to have a conversation with his like four year old daughter about why is mommy crying like this? Why, what is going on? That was outside of his locus of control. And, and that's, that's rough. That's, that's rough. So, and it's, it's like, it's like everybody's echoed right now. It's, we're all exhausted. So it, it's way too soon to be kind of figuring out, okay, like what's next, even though that's, that's kind of what we maybe wanting to maybe kind of do, but that might be a different testament about how we're, we're seeing things. We might be looking at things, but, but we need that. Like as, as allies, we need that. We need that of you all. We need you to one, yes, be thinking about this is horrible. We need to do something about this. And maybe like we need to, like now we need to be doing something about this. Be nice if like yesterday or years before we could have been doing something about this. But yeah. but it's good that like now we need to be tackling this. But for us, for me, I, I need to process. I need to process with my family. I need to maybe cry. I need to maybe talk with somebody professional. I need to work. I need to work in a healthy way. I need something to help myself. Because this is it's, it's a lot to, to go on social media and, and to see trauma, undeserved trauma, unwarranted trauma, unjust trauma. It's so much. Have you cried? I cry so much now. I cry so much. I don't know, ladies, that this has happened to you, but I will, like, driving down the street, and I have seen Black men just walking or sitting at a bus stop or into, you know, walking into Blaze Pizza and there are a couple of black guys working there or in line and I have to keep from falling out. And that's not every time, but I just, their existence in Tallahassee, Florida at 9.22 a.m., whatever it is, I am broken for them many of whom would say, yes, I'm in pain and also shrug. So as a black female, there's some of that, but for them to say, yep. And that be the first response. I have black family members and that's what they've said is, I mean, with three ellipses and not even that with a period at the end, that is the, whether I see black men breaking down about this, the bit of indifference in the midst of the pain is part of what is so tragic, disturbing about what has happened and what continues to happen. The idea that we, we have Black men who are extremely successful and they talk like they have a last will and testament. So you ask them about what happened and they say, you know what, if this were to happen to me and they've got a whole lot of things lined up for their family, for who would just um, vouch for the fact that this is not the character of maybe what a police officer or a citizen arrest, like whatever the situation is, that, that that's not, whatever's being put up against them, that that's not who they are. But that that's People are not only, Black men are not only walking around with the reality that it would happen, but also 
that they want the people they cared for to still be loved and cared for after something like that might happen. But we're not just talking about their own safety and health. They're thinking about the safety and health of the people around them that they love. Just those kinds of points that are, are people's lives, I just, I can't even, when I spend any amount of time thinking about it. And I will tell you, I told, I don't know if it was you guys, but I just watched the Hobbit trilogy again. And that's right. People make fun of me for my Marvel Comics passion, as well as my love for J.R.R. And I thank you, Miss Science. Thank you. And there are always quotes in those books and those movies. I needed to do something like when you talk about self-care. And I have wept and wept over some of the key components of a story that's bigger than us, where there's pain and trauma and there's some good that comes out of it. And of course, not real science fiction. Y'all don't have to worry about me. And somehow thinking that that's real (laughs) or do you, but I've needed to pull myself into a, a place like that and say, look at something that is good because it's not in the real world right now. I've had to look elsewhere to find a little bit of, wow, a little bit of future thinking that is somewhat joyful. You know, when I think about these men, doesn't matter if you make six figures, doesn't matter, you are still black. I think one of the most powerful moments that I've been a part of in having these conversations is a local pastor describing his conversation with his son, the conversation, in such human and visceral terms about that, and and weeping, weeping, and talking about how you, you know that your child is in a different place after that conversation happens when you have to tell him that this is the world that he's about to enter into and the the idea that you don't know when to have that conversation it it reminds me of just the the powerful a sadness we all experience with him as he described that i had um i've had a lot of conversations with random black men (laughs) don't tell my husband that over the last couple weeks I mean, from like the security guard to the guy that was doing the health screening to like, I smiled real big and waved at some guys in like a truck, you know, just going about their business that day. And I think they honked back and I might've been delusional, but I felt like there was a moment in between in the road, like while we crossed each other, I looked at them and I was just like, Mm -hmm. I love you and I see you and Uh, Mm. I wish I could take this away from you. Um, A lot of those just, I I find myself asking these men, how are you doing? And then look at them straight and I know, how are you doing? And it, you know, so we would go from, I'm good, you know, to, well, I'm hanging in there. And then if I, if I linger, you know, I'd get a little bit more of, of what's really going on in their minds and, even from some of my own employees that I've had to call and say, hey, what's going on? And they'll get right into work. And I'll be like, no, no, I didn't call about work. 
know, how are you really doing? I don't normally do that. I mean, I like to think I'm friendly, but this felt different. It felt like I needed to care for them too. Um, and, and that was just kind of one of the things I've noticed over the last couple mm-hmm. of weeks is just this connectedness that we feel to each other and to this shared experience. And, you know, to m- Miss Science's point about going on something like social media and seeing all this mass trauma, it's, it's so surreal to just have everybody grappling with this in, with such rawness and with such emotion and with... And to even just for that to be on display, it's a little unnerving. It's a little disorienting and it, it deepens my own grief. Um, I, I wanted to stop. I wanted, I want everything to just like turn off and not just that we switch the subject, but just like turn it off um, because that it's like a, a big, massive grave when you see mm-hmm. somebody being put into a mm-hmm. grave during a, a, a funeral it's one person going in and you can kind of like be sad but it's it's a funeral but then when mm-hmm. it's a mass grave it feels it hits different or or if it is a, a a big public wailing it it just it leaves this weird distaste and uh just discomfort and it's and i think even that is also scarring like that's part of my memory about all of this it's just how everybody is wailing so it just something's different and and that takes a lot of energy and time to process such that one thing that i have been grateful for and as time has gone on i really wasn't caring about it in the beginning but over time i have been grateful to see non-black people who Mm-hmm. Are, are animated to do something. And I'm just kind of, I'm a little cynical about it, to be honest. I'm kind of sitting back and saying, good, keep going, you know? Like, <laughs> I mean, it's just, I don't feel energized, you know, Liz, to your question earlier. It, it does, do you go from a stage of sort of mourning to maybe energized to do something? I don't know that I feel energized to do anything. I feel exhausted and I feel like this kind of lifting can only be done by non-black people. You know, it's like, this is, we've given you um, anger. We've given you speeches. We've given you marches. We've given you love, nursing at the black woman's breast. I mean, we've given all of it and we've given tears and we've given mourning. We've given it in such a raw form on display that, there's mm-hmm. nothing really more to give. And I don't know that it's so much of a hopelessness. It's a, for me, a bit of it is a realization like this lifting mm-hmm. is not for me to do. There's work to be done. Yeah, that's what you said last week is white America. White folks, and, we, we need to be talking and to each other. Mm-hmm. I actually heard that last mm-hmm. year a couple times too, is the idea that it would be interesting to have that kind of conversation but I heard it loud and clear last week that that's what has to happen. That conversation I mentioned last night that I had, it was all white girlfriends and there was a whole reason why it came up and it was so powerful to hear them and their desire to bear my, our burden. And they had some very specific things that they, they knew needed to be done. And I think that's an interesting thing too, is like, what does your gut tell you as a white person? Because there are a lot, there are a lot of things that white people are avoiding doing because it's uncomfortable. 
they know better. So when you're with that, you know, you're on that double date with that mildly racist couple that is always saying the things, you know, they watched one episode of Blackish and are like, <laughs> about something, whatever the thing is. And they end up like trying to two dimensionalize or whatever the thing is. And you are like, do you guys want dessert? And then you try to get out of there as fast as possible. You know, in your gut that that's probably one of the ways you, you can stand in solidarity with your black friends, your black brothers and sisters. You know, at work, when something goes down and you know it's not okay, certainly there are layers and levels to that in terms of your, what you're willing to do and what's appropriate for you or not. But when you come to me and say, I saw that and I'm not okay with it, I know that there's not something I can do specifically, but I saw, I listened, I heard, and that, you know, there's a lot of living that goes into this. There are people who say things to me and I think, all right, I'm going to check back on June 10th of 2022 and we're going to see how that went for you. We're going to see where you went. You know what? We'll do 2021. I'm going to give you a year. You know what? Let's do three months because honestly, I'm not sure that what you're saying to right. me is a, is a heart level change. It's because that's what you need. You want me to hear. So there's a lot as an individual that comes into play here. I mean, Sean, with his, I don't know what you call that, strawberry blonde. Y'all, he's white, just so you didn't think that was on a black face, which whatever. Oh, we have, we have you um, back in. He had himself listed as, as the whitest or something. Yeah, wow. literally the whitest person. <laughs> but Although who, I, I could fight you for that, Sean. <laughs> now that would be a fight. <laughs> But I've known John for years. So I was going to say, I know your character, Liz and Sean, or at least I think I do, unless muhahaha, there's something else going on. Jekyll, Hyde. <laughs> there he is. Yep, knew it. John's drumming his fingers. <laughs> so I would, if I saw you today and you came up to give me a hug and it was a major squeeze, I would get that. You know, I still may not want to have a conversation with you right now. But there's a character thing that there are a lot of people that I wonder if they're wor- willing to work that into who they are, or if this okay. is the lighter fluid on the coals versus the, the stoking of the coals underneath. Now, that's up to you. But when I watch you at work, look, avoid your eyes, avoid my eyes, and I watch you awkwardly not stand up for a situation in your daily life, that's the rubber meeting the road in the ordinary, mundane power of being a human. Yeah, I think that's why the, well, I, I think just the, w- the way that all this stuff compounds for Black people in America and why things hit different is because you can't help but have all those things sort of be conjured up when you deal with one form of grief or, or anger or whatever. It's never just this person stepped on my foot. It's like, you've literally been stepping on my foot every single day on the same foot that's been broken. And then you ask me to run, you know? So it's, it's like, it's not you, but it's like all y'all and I'm really mad. And I, I, I can see why people are like, golly. I mean, I had a conversation with somebody mm-hmm. that in their position, they had such an opportunity to 
nurse our wounds um, and they didn't, but I think in the conversation, it couldn't help but become so emotional. And I could tell from the body language, they didn't, mm. they didn't realize that it was this serious to us, you know, and just couldn't even blame them. They just looked at me like, oh, I had no idea. Like you actually felt some kind of way about this. And to even have to explain that or, or defend it is, you know, part of the exhaustion. But I think for people to recognize, it's never just that one thing. Um, and so what V is talking about makes me think the cumulative effect of all of this stuff is why the little things matter. Like if you start to fix the little things, we'll have less cumulative issues that kind of make these painful moments even more painful. Let me stop submiss. No, I just want to say real fast, Sunshine can always say what I need to say as in the science um, in about uh, 10% of the time and number of I'm words. I'm an engineer. So I will try to, <laughs> and I'm an MSW, so hey I'm so sorry. <laughs> so Sunshine, sort of to your point, I saw Dr. David Williams interviewed. He's with Harvard School of Public Health, and he, he developed a scale called the Everyday Discrimination Scale. She's going to do that every single time I talk, I think. Oh, what kind of cat is it? Okay, oh, the evil kind. <laughs> Satan's fun. Do black yeah. people own cats? So, <laughs> no, <nope>. wait, what? <laughs> no, is Nothing. that a thing? Next on the village square. Black people don't own cats. Do you know like about the washcloth? Miss Science knows. <laughs> yes. <laughs> No, it's science. Okay, also, like, we can be good swimmers, but this whole, like, swimming with manta rays Ooh. and... Where? No, well, that's what I'm saying is, do you see us We don't do that. that. Wait a minute. I don't like that. I don't like that. Miss Science. Oh, wait. Miss Science sorry, Miss doesn't science. count. Miss, the only reason why Miss Science does it You're right. is no, just to I'm say... Sorry. I'm sorry. ...that we should. <laughs> Not that we do it. Open that space oh, up. You, Open it up. You're activist about it. Open the, Open space, the space. You're being an activist. Are, yes. I will do. I think I could we do are dolphins. We spaces, Dagnabbit. We are. We don't want to. We are. We don't right. want Black in nature. Hashtag black in nature, Dagnabbit. Dagnabbit is mad now. No, you need to help me with that, Miss Science. Oh, yeah. We are. We are. And we are out here. I no longer dislike manatees. And that took three to seven years, so three to seven. Okay, there was something very serious happening. Yes. What's serious is that black people are out here in nature and dag nabbit, it is good for us. It is good for our our self. Well, we've been we've in been nature, nature. Miss yes, Science. Exactly. We didn't we didn't want to be in a good we didn't way. be in nature. In the good way we need to be. Hello. But you know what we need that nature. We do. We need with this um oh with our health God, outcomes. Well, what did, what the evil cat disrupted something important. Yeah, so the evil cat, I'll go ahead and start with, with that. Yeah, so Dr. David Williams, Harvard School of Public Health, and he developed something called an everyday, everyday discrimination scale, and he had nine items on the scale. And you're supposed to rate um, whether this happens almost every day, at least once a week, a few times a month, a few times a year, less than once a year, and never. Um, you are treated with less courtesy than other people are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you want us to start counting? I, I, yeah, I don't know. If you want to sort of say, is that almost every day, at least once a week? Almost every day. Yeah, I mean, it, in the way that you just don't take, you just kind of shrug it off. Almost. Yeah. 
yeah, but why do you shrug it off? It's yeah. because you know, like, it's just what your life is, our life. Yeah, so uh, and it's, you know, you just navigate around it. Like in a store. I mean, if I had to stop and address that every moment, I'd never get my outfit. Like, it just... It's too much time. Yeah, affirmative. And I'm like, really? You're doing that at Steinmark? I don't shop at Steinmark. So less courtesy, and then you were treated with less respect than other people. So that's somewhat similar, but different. Miss Science? I would have to agree. Only place or only time in my life where I've ever not really felt as much discrimination is when, I, is when I've traveled internationally and when I blended in. And people couldn't automatically tell. Um, because I speak Spanish, so people couldn't automatically tell that, you know, I was American. So I just, I just blended in with everybody. So it wasn't as apparent that I was the minority. And that felt really nice. It felt really, really nice. On point. It just hurts my heart that you have to leave here exactly. to feel that. I oftentimes think of that. And sometimes you can preach that, that like maybe, maybe we need to leave. Not necessarily yes. like go back to Africa. Because even so, like, what? No, no, wait, 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 no, but even, even still, like, I don't know my African roots, you know, like, I, well, I you're probably from Ghana, just try it. No, but even so, like, I have, um, Senegal is my I, guess. I have, um, like, I keep this close by to me, but like, this is, um, from a few years ago, my family, we had a family reunion on my mother's side and we were able to trace back to a certain point, my mother's yeah. like family lineage, but even still that's, it's not, it's just like a few generations back i'd love to know but i'd love to know where we were from but i don't that was taken from us so mm. i'm thinking about the going abroad and it being better sometimes there i've had interesting memories in italy i went kind of sightseeing with a friend who was super blonde and i remember walking together with her and she got all the attention Everybody was like just enamored with her. And I, I was happy because I'm like, they weren't looking at me because literally when we went across the sea to Greece, everybody was like, oh, una negra, una negra. I'm like, really? <laughs> we were in the streets in Athens and I got like a dozen roses from a bunch of tweens yelling. <laughs> I was walking with another black girl and they thought they, they called us Venus and Serena. We had braids in our hair. This was in 2006. But I remember thinking, I just, I don't really want to be seen right now. <laughs> like, just go about your day, you know, don't, right. don't uh, point me out. And so on the Italian side, it was a relief that she was getting so much more attention. But I just say that to say there's these kind of interesting things that happen in these streets. But never did I think I was about to get shot. It, it, was, it was just sort of a curiosity. Um, America has done a thing, man, between black and whites. Mm. that truthfully sometimes it feels like it's a, it's the widest deepest chasm yeah um to try to restore your your husband spoke very eloquently about coming to america from africa and feeling for the first time kind of feeling yeah. and sensing his color in a way that he yeah. he had not before you're really forced to aside from the simple choices on the form that you have to fill there's some real daily recognition that I wish I didn't have to, that we, I think every black person wishes they didn't have to think about every day, how their blackness factors into where they're going to go, how they're going to be perceived. Yep. That that's a, there's a real mental exhaustion that really could be better used somewhere else um, than to think about it. And it's not that every day you feel like your life is at stake, 
but I think again, that cumulative effect just kind of weighs and you're going to walking around and yes. it's like those folks that like to exercise. I don't know for the life of me why they do it, but they put weights on their legs and their arms and things just to add more resistance to their life. And then you take it off and you realize how much easier it is to just walk. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of black people yes. don't even know what that feeling is to just walk. It's just it's a constant weight. Mm. Um, that it's not going to kill you. Maybe we can laugh about it one day. We can. We definitely do laugh about it during the barbecues and when we joke about the struggle, but it, it definitely weighs. It definitely weighs. I want to invite our extra whitest friend <clears throat> who's been quiet, drinking scotch on the side. I know. That's Let's begin these learnings so we can go out and disseminate this information. Apple <laughs> juice. <laughs> He's such he an amazing is. listener, or he's <laughs> planning his grocery list. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever felt so lost in my life. This is probably not going to sound odd to the, the three of you, but it's the first time in my life that I've, I felt like I didn't understand or fit in in my country, mm-hmm. trying to make sense of what all has happened. and. Not just what's happened, but the ramifications. If these things happen, then it means these other things have been in play, you know, under the radar for people like me my whole life. And the struggle to have to look at and reevaluate what it means to be an American, what it means to be white, what it means to be a white man, to have to look at things through a new lens to see friends of mine hurting and to know that there's nothing I can say to help, to know that anything that I say is probably going to make it worse, to read the comments of people who I love and who I respect, to see them say things on social media that betray either an ignorance or a hardness of their heart that they've not been willing to address. It's, it's been tough. That's probably not going to get a ton of sympathy on this Slack message because this is something I've been carrying for a week and a half versus, you know, my entire life. But but it's new to me. And so it's kind of like, you know, the one mile jog to the person who doesn't run versus the person who is used to running marathons, except that the marathon you didn't have a choice in. So, you know, it's it's just been surreal. I, I don't know how to describe it any other way. I feel like growing up as an American, I've always held to this ideal of, you know, American exceptionalism. I lived in this country my whole life. And events like what has transpired over the past two weeks forces you, if you have any degree of intellectual honesty, to look back and it challenges you to reevaluate things that you've always, quote unquote, known and look at them through different eyes. And the challenge is, I think, I see so many people that I care about who I think, you know, are at their core, good people with soft hearts, but they're not yet able to, to count the cost because in order to look at those things, there's Mm. so much you have, you, you have to be willing to let go of and people aren't willing to let go of those things. And if they're not willing to let go of those things, they can't see what's right in front Mm. of them. And we, we want to boil things down. And I'm having to just avoid a lot of the social media chatter because it's just, um, you know, at the, to be raw, it's just bullshit. You know, everyone is living in their own echo chamber. We share whatever reinforces our own personal view. 
We shout down anyone who opposes that view. We don't listen to each other. We don't, we're not willing to contemplate anything. And as long as we, as a culture and as a nation, as long as we hold to that, it's, it's nothing is going to ever change. And, and that's, that's a really tough pill to swallow. You know, for me personally, you know, I'm the son of a retired law enforcement officer. I, my whole life, I've had this idea of what it means to be a police officer and what that ideal is. And, you know, I'm the son of a man who served honorably his whole career. I mean, some of his highest accolades, if you ask what he's most proud of, his, his crowning achievement as a law enforcement officer was he helped to get a black man off of death row through DNA evidence who was falsely charged of raping and murdering a white woman. I'm super proud of that. But I've had this idea of what it means to be a police officer in our country. And a lot of that's being challenged right now. A lot of what I see on the news, what I see online is shaking that up. And, and I don't know what to do with it. And, and it's tough. And, you know, I can read and read and read and read, but intellectual knowledge only takes you so far. So for me right now, I feel a little bit in the wilderness because my friends who are black, not to be confused with my quote, black friends, you know, they're grieving right now. They're hurting. And as I talked about on the last call, as I want to do, you know, I charge into the middle of things and start asking my questions and not realizing that I'm tramping all over people's feelings with the best of intentions. But I feel right now, like so many people are doing that. People don't know what they don't know. And so right now I'm just kind of in this position of feeling frozen. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I feel like for the most part, I should be quiet and listen. And then, but when I take that posture, there's a certain demographic who says, why are you sitting there with your mouth shut? You need to stand up and do something. But when I step out with what I know right now, invariably mm. it's wrong and it's obtuse. And then the other camp says, why don't you just sit down and be quiet and listen? And so right now I don't know what to do. And I'm, I feel like there's, there's this tension. I know that there's a lot of people I care about who have a level of melanin that is different than mine. Those people are important to me across the nation. I would love to be able to just, you know, wave a magic wand and have the issue of race as a social construct dissolve and, no, and not have any meaning any longer. But we talk about these issues of racial reconciliation, but there can't be reconciliation without repentance. And right now, our country has been largely unwilling to repent of the things that have happened historically. And it doesn't matter if I personally ever had a slave. It doesn't matter if anyone in my family ever had a slave. You know, people with skin color like mine built this country on the backs of people who had skin color that looked like yours. And we have never truly rectified that issue or even had an honest conversation about it. And so I sit here and I kind of shrug and go, I don't know what to do next. Well, you just did it. I agree. You just, you just did. And I want to briefly tell a story. Um, but before I tell that story, Sean, you are... You're in a group of people where I, I hope you can feel free to, to share. You don't, I don't think you have to be quiet at all. You can, you can share, you can ask questions. And I think if we do need to check you, it'll, it'll be so in a way where it'll be constructive instead of solely critical. And as I say that, I'll, I'll share a quick story with you. A friend of mine, a white friend of mine, <laughs> uh, a white male friend of mine. H-W-I-T-E. Um, yes. I, I consider him one of my more wo woker allies. 
who I do have a, a lot of progressive conversations with. I, I, I trust him a lot. And in the city that we live in, he's been very active. He's been very upset about everything that's been going on. He's been going out to local demonstrations. He's been handing out water. He's been handing out water to everybody. Demonstrators, police officers, and at the most recent one, he uh, was at the planning side before the demonstration began. And he happened to mention that he got a hold of uh, gift cards to, you know, food, let's say pizza, for example. And he raised his hand when it came time for suggestions and just mentioned that um, as a show of goodwill, he thought that maybe it might be a good idea to, in addition to handing out, you know, pizza gift cards to people in attendance, maybe also handing it out to the police officers. This was shot down. This was not well received mm-hmm. at all, at like at all. And he really did mean it in the best of ways and stuff like bless his sweet, bless his sweetheart. I know where he was coming from. Just, he really did mean well. He's just trying to be like, hey guys, like, just to make sure. I get what he was trying to do, but um, given how tensions are rising, it was not well received at all. Not only did they shoot him down then, they shot him down in emails and in social media posts as well. Not directly naming him, but oh. um, in my personal opinion, that was unnecessary. But that's how you lose allies. Just me personally yeah. thinking that. I, I don't think that's that's a bit demoralizing and I don't think that's right. So just to, just to attest to you, that's how you get people to stay silent. And that's, that's how you get people to not feel like they can ask questions or like they can contribute. There are ways to be more constructive and there are things that you can do. There are ways that you can ask questions. There's, there's always, this is always a space in which, and just by your, your, what you just said right there, uh, you just ticked off everything. You addressed the history of racism. You, uh, you addressed a lot of things that you personally have witnessed. You, you talked about how you're hurting. And I, and I do feel like how you are hurting, how that matters too, because your feelings do matter in this. We're all hurting in this. And I do feel like that's also something that's skirted over. And I hear that often too. What's funny is how often it's, uh, we've become a society that applies these purity tests and where you have to fit cleanly in is singular boxes. And the number of times over the past seven to 10 days where I've been accused of being a liberal, progressive, social justice warrior, it's just, it's just laughable. It's like, do you friggin' know me? I mean, I won't get into the baggage of it, but I mean, it's in times of my life, I've been as, as red as they come. But at what point does my conservative political ideology have anything to do with how I see other human beings and the dignity and worth that I feel should be extended to them as equal vessels created by God? You know, and I don't see that's that is something that is so far above nonsensical political ideology and the the cancel culture i feel like is a huge problem on both sides of the political aisle you know we you you're not allowed to to have even a half step of variance 
from whatever is dictated of what your belief system should be. And if you fail that test, then you're going to be destroyed in the public square. And that, that's so unfortunate. Yeah. And in fact, I would say that that's how we humans behave, no matter who we are, when we find ourselves in a place that we feel that we're under siege and we're under siege by the people who are different than we are. And, and then the dynamic becomes that sort of sense of you, you, have to, you have to be completely with us or you're against us. And to me, that's something that's happening in a lot of different groups right now that we, almost some of the tragedy of it feels like there's so many humans who are feeling that way right now. It feels, um, it feels like warfare. That's exactly yes. the way you think when you're in war. That, that's you know? correct. Even yeah. as, again, as somebody who likes to engage in this conversation and has committed to it for my life, there's a point where it seems like, you know, all the alerts go off and the systems are not working and you need to quickly do something. And it's a, sorry V, but some of them was like block, 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 blockity, block, block, not today. Maybe I'll come back next week. I don't, I just, not today, sure, you know, no, so I, I get it. Yeah. That, that is that sort of, um, nope, same thing. you know, in the world of like mental health, my MSWs and when you, when the body's dealing with that kind of shock to the system, it's a fight or flight. You tense up, you do something really quick just to preserve your life. And then you can kind of look back if you're lucky enough and just pause and reflect and think, okay, maybe how could I have done that better? Or, or how can I give myself better tools so I can go through this? One thing I feel for my brothers, my white brothers and sisters is while I, I, I know that feeling of like frustration and not knowing what to do, but it's a different feeling. I, I cannot begin to imagine, Sean, what you're going through and just what, what I'm only thinking about the emoji with the brain kind of exploding when you're trying to reconcile a person, a real human family member that you love and everything that goes into that. And then all these different narratives and, and then your love for friends and, and just the helplessness. I don't know exactly what that feels like. But a part of me feels like the gift of all of this is this incredible discomfort. And in a way, I don't want to take any of that away from you, Sean. You know, the, this is like the, when I said I'm mm. not right now, it's the most loving way I can conjure up, you know, uh, uh, it wasn't like I'm going to block you, but I just can't talk right now. The other part of it was, I need you to feel this because this, this is not a, a this is not something a tweet is going to solve. This is not a post level thing. This isn't even one book. Right. This is like, you have to feel it viscerally because until you do, you won't, you won't have an urgency to change it. Yeah. And I wish that for every single person in this country, in this world, I wish that for all my white brothers and That's sisters good. because of love. Like I not, I'm not saying, Oh yeah, now you're suffering. That's, it's not, I don't feel that way at all. But I do feel like it has it has to hurt. There's no way we do this if it doesn't hurt. There's, this is not about. It's, you're not going to sell enough products to make you yeah. change. It's, it's not about writing the right slogan. It it, just, it has to hurt. Yeah, you know. Late last year, I read uh, "I'm Still Here" by Austin Channing Brown, and in it, she talks about taking a trip with some of her college friends to the the museum that's in Mississippi. 
does at the lynching museum. And one of the takeaways from one of her white friends who said, you know, because on the bus ride home, it was, you know, just stone cold quiet afterward. And one of her friends said, you know, something to the effect of, I don't know what to do, but I know that I can no longer look away. And, and, and my hope and my prayer for America is that there is a new generation of people who will rise up and recognize that they can no longer look away and that there are still fundamental components of our society that have not been addressed in the way that they have to be. And it's not a purity test. Like, I don't, you know, I can't get behind the concept of completely defunding, you know, and getting rid of law enforcement. I don't think that's the answer. But there's a whole lot of room between where we are now and no more police officers. <laughs> like, there's, there's so much room in between those two points. And we have to begin addressing as a culture and as a society, like, what do we value and what matters to us? and investing in those things. And ultimately what matters is people. Everything else burns, it rots, it decays, it disintegrates. People are what cultures are made of. And we have to recognize the fact that America is in a unique situation and that there is a dual class of citizen in our country and it comes down to skin color. For a long time, I was right there with the best of them in arguing that you know, it's not about race, you know, it's uh, if you take skin color away, we're just going to replace it with something else, you know, but now I'm at the point of, okay, well, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Right now, we got this one in front of us. And right. what are we going to do about it? I, I need to interject on something. I just realized that we, um, we haven't addressed a whole, a whole different part of this. And, and the turmoil of everything that's going on and a major reason about why I have been upset and why I have been crying so much is, in my eyes, where it all really began, which was the New York Central Park incident, the Amy Cooper incident. Oh, golly. So, so this is all really troubling for me because it, it, it doesn't even feel like we can it doesn't even feel like black America can tackle one issue, deal with that, really deal with one thing before there's another thing that we're dealing with. Because that happened on Monday. George Floyd happened on Tuesday. And then I recall on Wednesday, there was, there was another shooting someplace else. So it just feels like there's incident after incident after incident. And then several days later, it hits a fan on Saturday. And then we get together and have our, our, our talk on either Monday or Tuesday. And by, by then, like, we didn't even like, have a, a grasp on what day of the week it was, or at least I did. Right. Hey there, it's Vanessa here again, your podcast host. This is where we're going to pause the discussion, and you can hear the rest soon when part two comes out. We're breaking here because after this point, the group really digs into the Amy Cooper situation and what that represents. It's a really important topic and seemed appropriate as a starting point for the second episode, so please join us again for that soon. I would like to offer my sincere thanks to each one of these participants who gave us a window into their hearts and minds so that we may grow in our understanding of our fellow human beings, our neighbors 
Personally, it was incredibly helpful to me to hear this raw truth of what this experience is like for these black women. So many of their comments will repeat in my mind for years to come, and I will grow from their words. I am so grateful for this gift that these neighbors offered to us. And before we close this episode, I just want to say one thing about a point that Miss Science made. When she talked about the guy giving out the waters and gift certificates, that reminded me of an exchange I recently witnessed online between two white women that I know. And I don't think they know each other. One of them wrote a post in a Facebook group with an idea that she had for taking action on racial injustices. Well, it did not go over well by people in the group, and she was pretty beat up over it. And one of the strongest voices was another white woman who I know, who is very far along in her understanding and action related to systemic racism. I felt so bad for the first woman because I knew what her intent was. And after knowing her for almost my whole life, I also know what's in her heart, and I had no problem giving her the benefit of the doubt. But if I'm being honest, I do wonder sometimes what my reaction to this exchange would have been if I had no personal knowledge of this woman. So my point here is how critical the relationships are when working through our most challenging issues. And that's what the Village Square is all about. They are based on the idea that we need to gather and build relationships across color, creed, and ideology so that we have the foundation for working through complicated and hard issues. And in fact, that's why they added local color to their suite of programs, because they realized that our community needs to have a space for building relationships and discussing racial issues among a diverse group of people. Liz really brings this point home in episode one of the Village Squarecast, which was released shortly before this one. And if you're listening to all this thinking you want more local color, well, good news. Not only can you look forward to part two of this discussion and more future discussions, but you can also hear past programs. For now, you can listen from Village Square's website, and in the future, we'll be putting out throwback episodes so that you'll be able to hear on the Village Squarecast as well. If you are intrigued by what you heard today, we hope that you'll tell a friend and subscribe to our podcast from your favorite podcast service or on our website at villagesquare.us. And you can also visit us online to learn all about the Village Square's programs, explore and listen to past programs, sign up for the monthly newsletter, send us a question or comment, and see the show notes page for this episode. Find all of that and more at villagesquare.us. We appreciate you listening to this local color episode of the Village Square cast. Please be on the lookout for part two of this discussion coming out soon. And until next time, we challenge you to reach out with an open heart and mind to someone who doesn't look or think like you. It changes everything. We'll talk to you soon. And thank you so much for listening to the Village Square cast. Square